0: Hello everybody, welcome back to Caffeinated Bible Chatter. We got the the coffee out, it's hot, it's strong, and we got the sword in front of us, and it's sharp, and it's strong as well. Uh, welcome back for another episode. How's it going, Dylan?
1: It's going good. I, uh, you're right about the coffee being strong. We have uh, had several episodes in the past where some of the coffee was below par, and uh, uh, we've admitted that, you know, a few decaf cups of coffee on my side just for the time of the day it was We're were recording and uh some crappy creamers but i will say that tonight mine's hitting the spot we got some pike roast in the cup yes and the only thing stronger than pike roast that wants to singe my hair is this book in my lap big guy mm. that's it amen gotta preach <laughs> that's right <laughs> but uh
0: all right so we we're still in the the end time stuff uh we went through the rapture uh the tribulation judgment seat of christ uh last week we talked about the millennium right the thousand year reign with christ sitting on the throne getting that the glory and honor he he's deserved all along um so we're going to continue with that uh i assume we'll be in revelation chapter 20 uh the the end what happens as you get toward the end of that thousand year reign uh with the the great white throne judgment and all that stuff that's to come um but if you missed some of those other episodes before this one Go check those out. Listen to those before this one, maybe it'll it'll explain everything in order. If you had a calendar of how things will break down, that's what we're kind of going through.
1: Yeah, uh, like we like Kyle just said. And we've said every every single week. This has simply been just a uh, week by week thing. We're trying to go in in sequential order. Uh, you know, from rapture to eternity future. And just lay everything out. I think We think that this is, this is really our first deep dive uh, series of study um, ever since we, we kind of got out of dispensationalism, which was just kind of how we, we got this plane off the ground of this podcast. Um, so it's brought us down to the point where uh, we're talking about the end of the millennium. So I'm actually not sure how this will be titled uh, you will see it uh, as you uh, if you're listening right now. You already can see it because you're you're uh, further down the road than we are at this point <laughs> recording it. Uh, but we're pretty much talking about the end of the millennium and the Great White Throne Judgment. So we actually, me and Kyle, we were kind of talking back and forth and kind of wrestled on if we wanted to talk about the end of the millennium with the, the Great White Throne Judgment. Um, really, for a few reasons. For one, because we've said so many things or we've we've made comment about the great white throne judgment already and how it's in opposition to the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, and also with the end of the millennium in this, we, we figured it we, it wouldn't be a lot of content. Now, if we really were to go deep, deep diving in the stuff, you can make multiple weeks out of it. Um, but that's not the goal here. We're, we say some, maybe some off the wall stuff occasionally in your, in your, in your opinion, but uh, we think we're just kind of skimming it. Um, so at least in this, all the end time stuff we are so uh we you know we figured you know if we do this it may be a shorter episode so obviously i'm not sure how short it'll be at this point but i I do i do think it will be a little bit on the shorter side but but on the other side of the coin uh we didn't want to skip doing this because last week obviously us talking about the millennium we did not talk about the end of the millennium and there is a big transition that happens at the end of the millennium Um, and so we didn't want to skip that and, and, and then, you know, us go from talking about the good part of the millennium to eternity future, because that, and that's where we'll be in New Jerusalem for forever. That would, that would have been a big jump and we would have, uh, there probably would have been some dots that weren't connected for people that maybe are new to this stuff. And so we thought it needful to, to go through and do an episode on this regardless, regardless of if it's shorter or not. So the end of the millennium slash the great white throne judgment, however we'll title that they're really, they go hand in hand. And why is that? Well, because obviously we laid out last week that the millennium is the thousand year reign. It's the theme of the Bible. And that's because Christ is getting the glory that he's, he's deserving of. And so he comes back for that purpose. That is why the second advent takes place. He comes back for that purpose to set up his kingdom. He rules and reigns in, in Jerusalem for a thousand years. He's like a dictator on a throne. I mean, he's, you know, not a jerk like socialistic dictators and communistic dictators today, uh, or in the last hundred years. Um, if you're a socialist, I'm sorry, uh, but you got you got bad uh, philosophies. Anyway, um, just a little sidebar there. But anyway, uh, but Christ is that. Christ is 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 calling all the shots in His kingdom, literally physically ruling and reigning. Okay. But at the end of the millennium, something crazy, and, and to be honest, something that I still can't wrap my... There's a lot of things that I, I believe by faith from the Word of God but I can't wrap my mind around, and this is one of those things. Uh, because what happens is the millennium, and I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but it actually ends in apostasy, or it ends in rebellion. And so, uh, the way I've laid out this, you know, I always like to lay out a few talking points just really for me and to keep me on, on track... But two main talking points I want to lay out for the end of the millennium, and then two main talking points that I want to lay out uh, for the Great White Throne Judgment. And so, since we're going through everything in sequential order, okay? How does how do these think to tie? Uh, how does the millennium or the end of the millennium and the Great White Throne Judgment? How do they tie together? Well, as we have said already tonight as well, the millennium is a thousand years. That's what the word means. And it's a thousand year reign. Well, at the end of the millennium, there's rebellion, and then what happens is the great white throne judgment happens right before eternity future. So not to get ahead of ourselves for next week, but in eternity future, we find that, that Christ has destroyed uh, everything. And he, he sets up new Jerusalem and creates a new heaven and a new earth. So what I believe is right after the millennium is over and all this this battle that we're about to break down happens, uh, God destroys everything. He, he he wipes everything out right then and there. Well, right after that is when the great white throne judgment takes place. And then everybody at that point, everybody that's ever lived and breathed on this earth will have been judged. Whether lost, saved, uh, whether no matter what dispensation they lived in, they will have been judged at that point. And then uh, etern- the eternity future will, will be set up. So uh, we'll, we'll kind of just lay this stuff out as we go. But, The first thing, how about this, Kyle, let's let's maybe read the the main passage. Uh,
0: Revelation? In Revelation?
1: Yeah, I'll tell you what. If you want to read the first six verses, just to kind of give us a runway from where we've been in the regular part of the millennium, and then I'll read verse 7 through 10. Okay,
0: so this is what we talked about last week, Uh, starting in verse 1 of Revelation chapter 20. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, And he laid hold on the dragon that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshiped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, on such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years."
1: So that's, that is the, uh, like Kyle said, we talked about last week, that is the actual regular uh, text of the, of the millennium, like not the end of the millennium, but just the thousand-year reign itself and just giving us the biblical account of that. And then the uh, verse 7 through 10 gives us what the, the transition at the end of the millennium is. And it says, and when the thousand year, and this is what we're obviously talking about uh, today, and when the thousand years are expired... Satan shall be loosed out of prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in, in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the, as, as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and, uh, and compassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them verse 10, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Okay, so obviously you can see from verse one through six uh, and then in comparison to verse seven through 10, there is a great contrast here. Okay, the contrast is in verse one through six, that is, is describing the, the, the entirety of the millennium as we broke it down last week, uh, of it being a time of peace. And remember, this is the theme of the Bible. It's represented in in the seventh day of creation where it says, and God rested, and he blessed the seventh day because this is the seventh, the the last uh, thousand years, the 7,000th year um, of human history is the millennium. Uh, 7,000 years to to the 8,000th year. And so, But you obviously see there's this, in verses one through six, there's this peace going on because Christ is in control, complete control. Okay, and by the way, there's a lot of devotional application to us today. You know That is where Christ desires to be in our own individual lives. He desires to be in complete control and on the throne of our heart here and now, and it produces those same things. Uh, But anyway, so you see that in verse one through six, but then, of course, uh, verse seven, things change and we see that Satan is, is loosed out of prison. So, so that's the first big thing you got to understand. Why is, is the end of the millennium needful to talk about? Well, because a lot is going down here. So again, why we didn't want to skip this and just, uh, go right on over it to something new. So we see that Satan is loosed at the end of, uh, at the end of the millennium. Okay. So what was, and Kyle, if you want to grab Isaiah 14, 15. Yeah. So what was Satan loosed from? Okay, well, go back and look at uh, it, uh, verse seven, as I just read, it says, and when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Okay, but it's more than just what we think of as prison. You go back to the beginning of the chapter, uh, verse one, and I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hands. There's a bottomless pit here and notice this, and he, that that great angel, laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, okay? Where'd he, bound, where'd he bind him at? Verse three, and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up, okay? So this time is a time of peace, okay, obviously because Christ is in complete control, but it's also a time of peace because Satan does not have his his, his uh, way and his persuasion going on on earth. As we talked about last week, and again, if you haven't listened to that, you need to go back and listen to that before you listen to this one. It won't make sense to you. Uh, but uh, we, we laid out last week how Satan actually is, he has a lot of control over the world today. Now, obviously, Christ has allowed him that control. Uh, everything that happens in, 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 to man and to, in, in history has to go through the foreknowledge of God. He has to He has to allow it, of course. Uh, but there's so many references. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 talks about Satan being the little g God of this world. Uh, Matthew chapter four and Luke chapter four, I, th- I think it's Luke four, is the parallel passage of Matthew four. But it talks about that Satan has the powers of this world. He has the kingdoms. And in Luke, he actually says that they are given to him. So God has set it up that way. He's saying, yeah, hey, what here and now, he allows Satan to have some things, okay. But here in the in the millennium, it's a time of peace because he's he's cut that off. God has God the Father has cut off Satan's ability uh, to have access and power over uh, physical principalities. Okay, so we see there that Satan is actually bound to this bottomless pit. Okay, sounds like a scary thing. I'm sure it is. Okay, but bottomless uh pit obviously you know we, we believe that every word of god is pure and so uh we see here that it it do, obviously does not have a bottom uh, and the way to really understand this pit is it's sort of like a donut uh it, it doesn't have a top or a bottom but it just has it has sides okay and so i, tur- I asked kyle to go to to isaiah fourteen fifteen. 15 this is a good cross reference for that let's go ahead and read that uh kyle yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit okay so I believe from that cross reference, what we find is that Satan, this bottomless pit that Satan was in, was hell. And you probably believe this. There's a good chance that you, even you believe that hell today is in the center of the earth. I mean, you should believe that. But if you hadn't ever heard that, there's a lot of Bible references that teach us that. Um, but I can remember even being a, being a kid, and uh, you know, like knowing that God was above and Satan was beneath. Beneath my feet, right? Or even though he wasn't there, you know, me thinking that as a kid because I understood that hell was in the center of the earth, okay? And so this is where where Satan is bound to. He is he is in this bottomless pit, which again, I believe clearly shown from that cross-reference Kyle just read that this is this is hell. He's there for uh, a thousand years and so things are, are at peace, okay? But again, where things take this big turn is for whatever reason, God finds it uh, as a part of his will to loose him from this, to loose Satan out of this, this position. And so things go from, from perfect perfection, things go from uh, perfect peace and, and Christ being the, the, the last call on everything that goes down to there being some problems, okay? And the, obviously the problems come because Satan is loosed, okay? So that brings us to number two. We see here that Satan deceives the nations, So Satan deceives the nations. And so again, verse seven said, and when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations. So Satan's doing what Satan does. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. And he is going out immediately going to, he's been bound for a thousand years and he's going out immediately to go and deceive these nations. And notice here, Okay, so this would, before we get any further in it, this this would be, if you've never heard about the millennium or any of this stuff, your first thought would be, okay, well, or at least the way I would think, it's okay, well, Jesus is on earth, so everybody knows Jesus is real at this point. Like, everybody knows that Jesus is king, so that would be kind of pointless. Okay, and you would think, like, you would think that that would be the truth because he's he has ruled the last thousand years, thousand years is a long time. Okay. But what we actually find here is, okay, so Satan goes to deceive the nations. Well, how many people does he actually deceive? Well, I want you to notice at the end of verse eight, that in this battle that takes place, notice how many people that the war goes against in battle here. And it says, uh, or I'll just read the, whole, uh, the entirety of verse eight again. And shall go out to deceive the nations, talking about Satan which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. So how many people does Satan deceive? Well, it, it, how many grains of sand are on a beach? I mean, right? It's, it, it's, it, it's, it's incredible that this is even the case. But even though Christ is ruling and reigning, and even though Christ has been in complete control and he is the the king and has set up his kingdom. Man, it's at, at the very end of this whole thing, it ends in apostasy, and Satan goes and deceives people. And there's a great battle. Again, like I said, I don't understand all of that. I don't understand how people can can actually, because at least nowadays we would we think that many people won't trust Christ because they, you know, just don't realize he's real or that that everything in the Bible is true. And maybe that's the case for some people. But what this does show us is that at the end of it all, people's unbelief oftentimes is not truly an intellectual problem. It's actually a heart problem. Because what this shows is that the fact that, that Satan is able to go and to deceive the nations after Christ has ruled and reigned. What this shows you is that man does, in true, does indeed truly have a heart problem. We're wicked people. The, the heart of man at its core is wicked. And Kyle, if you want to grab uh, Jeremiah 17.6. Yeah. But the heart of man is, tr- and I'm about just quoted it, but the heart of man is truly wicked. And this shows that. So I don't know how all this will be laid out. And, and evidently to where I lean is I lean that the fact that there are people in this millennium obviously not Christians that were in the church age that are ruling and reigning with Christ in the millennium, but people that were alive during the tribulation and made it through the tribulation and are alive and having kids in the millennium, all that stuff will still be going on as crazy as that is to think about because again, we're back here on earth. We're on earth at this point. But nonetheless, what I believe is that there are people that are doing and beating to the drum that Christ commands them to beat to, but actually don't, you know, don't have any sincerity in their heart towards the Lord. Okay, there's no way that that can't be the case because if, if they were sold out to the Lord Jesus, I mean, they obviously believe in him, they can see him. At that point, faith is irrelevant. They can see the Lord Jesus. Uh, and so, but what I believe is that there is, there is this lack of sincerity to the Lord Jesus. There's still this heart of rebellion, this wickedness, that man, when the opportunity shows itself of rebellion, they're like, man, we want in on that. Well, yeah, would, the, go ahead.
0: These people kind of, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about, salvation being different, like coming through the tribulation when we said those verses about endure to the end or don't take the mark or whatever. So these people are, are in the flesh, right? So absolutely. for Satan to be able to come out and, and deceive them and stuff like that. It, right, absolutely. I mean, it makes sense. The, the mm-hmm. verse I was thinking about was Judges two nineteen, and it came to pass when the judge was dead that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers, and following other gods to serve them and to bow down unto them. They cease not from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. So this, I mean, I think this shows that that law of what's it called human collapse or whatever, right. right? So absolutely over time, man, I mean, he's always going to fall apart. He's always going to fail.
1: Yeah. So there, <laughs> there's a there's a thing out there, in, in which you know, twenty twenty three is a crazy. I mean, the last twenty years are crazy. I, mean, I probably I probably didn't think the last twenty years are crazy because I'm only twenty nine, but the last five are real crazy. Like even I, even as a twenty nine year old, I see. I'm like, yeah, I, I I see it. I mean, if you won't admit the last three are crazy since COVID, then man, I don't know what to tell you. But we're in a crazy we're in a crazy day, in a, in a liberal day, in a in a a, a warped and i don't mean politically liberal i mean that applies too but i'm talking about biblically liberal uh but we're in this day where people like the news will tell you and in most people that are living today they'll tell you that they have that they have faith in the i'm trying to think of the phrase they always use i just i went blank on it but that they have faith in the in the uh the character of man or something like that you know what phrase i'm talking about because like, uh, I was like, I have no idea what you're talking yeah, about. <laughs> I'm lost. <laughs> but anyway, they'll, they'll talk about like having that they have faith in their fellow man. Okay. I just want to go on record and say I have no faith in my fellow man. I don't have faith in me. Okay? I don't have faith in me. I don't have faith in my fellow man. I don't have faith uh, holy, complete faith in my brothers and sisters in Christ. Because my brothers and sisters in Christ, you know what I know their problem is? Their problem is my problem. They still got a flesh. Yep. And our flesh wants to creep up and make decisions and call shots. And so, man, in all of this, this this passage, in, uh, talking about the end of the millennium, in, in Revelation 20, it shows us that, okay, it's just like when people, and on the news and you see these things, that people want, okay, I'll, I'm okay with politics. Like politics are fun to talk about sometimes and get involved in it and all that. Okay, I get it. It's really more of a rah rah. Like who whose team are you on at this point? You know these days. Uh, but at the end of the day, when, when you see people that give their entire life to trying to help causes and to help to help people and to make people better off and to be better people, but yet it doesn't involve the gospel. It's a waste of time. That's what it shows you. Like, I hate abortion, but did you know that going on street, in my opinion, going on street corners and holding up signs, I mean, I got no problem with it. Like, I think it's, you know, like why not? If you're gonna watch TV or do that, like, who cares? But going on street corners and, and trying to fight abortion at the end of the day is a losing battle. Not because it's not worth it, because it is. But it's a losing battle because the problem is not abortion in and of itself. The problem is not murder in and of itself. The problem is not liberalism in and of itself. The problem is not communism in in worldly philosophy in and of itself. The problem is the heart of man without the gospel is wicked. That's always the problem. In this passage, again, as we've already been saying, this passage just gives you just such clarity of that because it shows you that man is in a cycle and man without a knowledge and a relationship of Christ and the word of God working in someone's life, man always, like Kyle said, follows this trend of of collapsing. That's why there's been no empire. The, the, the greatest empires that have ever... Uh, Ever existed in human history. They've never lasted forever. Because no matter if if someone's uh, economics are straight, whether somebody's policies and their political views are straight, again, all those things don't matter. Without someone's heart being renewed and and been made a new creature in Jesus Christ because of the gospel, it's all vain. Because the heart of man is wicked. So. Anyway, Kyle, go ahead and read, uh, that was a long tangent there, but go ahead and read that that deal in Jeremiah 17. 17 verse 6, for he shall be like the heath in the desert and shall not
0: see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land and not inhabited.
1: Because I'm going to be honest with you, I think I gave you the wrong verse. The
0: wrong that was yeah, I was about to say okay. that was not, uh,
1: is it maybe verse 5 talks about the heart? Let's say,
0: the Lord curse be the man that trusteth in man. Yeah. Or, I mean, you were talking about trusting a man. Is that what you're talking about? Well, that's a good
1: one too. I, I like all these. <laughs> Let's just read the whole chapter real quick. <laughs> uh, uh, let me go over there. Is it verse 7? It's talking about the, the heart is deceitfully wicked uh, who can know it.
0: What's his man that trusts in the Lord?
1: Oh, oh, verse 9. Verse 9. Oh, okay. The heart is
0: deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Yeah, know it? absolutely.
1: Okay. <laughs> So Jeremiah so,
0: seventeen verse nine, if you're following
1: verse on. nine, or just read the whole chapter. It's all yeah. good stuff. I actually love verse. Uh, uh, I can't remember any references in there. I love the whole chapter. It's a great chapter, anyway. <laughs> but that's really the deal. That read that reference one more time, because I had y'all all over the place. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And so that really is what we're seeing here in Revelation chapter twenty. Man, they can see the Lord Jesus right in front of them. They've been following him. Mankind has been following him for the last uh, thousand years, physically on earth, in his kingdom. And yet, when the opportunity to rebel shows itself, that's what they do. And so, what this actually shows us from a Bible, like from, a, from us just studying the Bible though, is it shows us, it reminds us that every dispensation actually ends in apostasy. So we... Uh, you know, go back and reference, you can go back and listen to our episodes on dispensationalism if you, if you haven't done that. Um, we don't have time to get into all of that, but we believe we, we need to rightly divide the word of truth, and that, that is done, our part of that rightly dividing is done in dispensations. And so you actually go back and look throughout history in those seven dispensations. This is obviously the last dispensation before eternity future, uh, but every single one of them, it, it actually it ends in apostasy, it ends in rebellion. It ends in, in somebody not following the Lord as they were supposed to. Uh, you think about, I mean, obviously the easy one is the end of the dispensation of, of uh, innocence. How did that end? Well, it ended because Adam ate of the fruit. And it ended in, exactly, in rebellion of what God told Adam to do. Okay, you think about the end of the law. Remember, the law actually went all the way until the death of the testator, the death of Christ. Well, how did the end of the law finish up? Even though Christ went to the cross and and gave his life for the the world, which is an amazing thing, it ended, that whole deal ended by God's own chosen people turning their back on him and not receiving him as their Messiah. That's how that dispensation ended. Okay, how does the... uh, and Kyle, if you want to go to Revelation 3, let's, let's go ahead and read that passage on Laodicea. Uh, but how does the... How, okay, so we're in the church age. Uh, we're in the, the sixth dispensation. How does this dispensation end, technically? Okay, well, it ends with a great falling away. 2 second, second Thessalonians 2 talks about that. It ends with... Uh, the church of the church in Laodicea, the seventh church shown there in Revelation three, which we believe represents around nineteen hundred to the rapture. Like right? so, the year nineteen hundred on our calendar until whenever Christ returns in the rapture. Okay, well, what what what's going on in the last hundred years? Well, you have this falling away where people are not uh, wholly consecrated to the Lord Jesus and His Word like they were beforehand. It really is not hard to follow. You go and look at, at what happened from 1500 to the end of the 1800s and, and what you find is a is a time frame in which people were wholly surrendered to the Lord. You think about all the great preachers, you think about all the great missionaries, you think about uh, the King James Bible being produced, you think about all of these different things and, and how, how they kept his word and they were consecrated to Christ and then, man, the Laodicean period is, is exactly in opposition to that. Matter of fact, and Kyle has these references, but matter of fact, the Laodicean period, the end of the church age, which is what we're in, there's actually nothing good said about it. Now he gives us the opportunity to overcome at the end of at the end of Revelation 3. He tells us what he wants us to buy from him. He counsels us to buy some things. But nonetheless, he doesn't actually give any attaboys to the Church of Laodicea. Why is that? Well, because the Church of Laodicea. Uh, the, the, the church age, the, the dispensation of, of grace, the church age, it ends in apostasy, just like every other dispensation. Go ahead and read maybe that in will pass Passage there, We go.
0: You just wanted to read the, the 15 through yeah, whatever, it through talking about end. Laodicea? Right. So talking about the church of Laodicea, starting in verse 15 of Revelation chapter 3. I know thy works, so that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked.
1: So, it's really an interesting thing. I'm kind of getting off on a sidebar here, but just wanting to again talk about how every dispensation ends in apostasy. The reason that the rapture of the church happens when it does, at the end of the Laodicean time frame, is it's sort of like Elijah. I heard a pastor make this comparison. I think it was really good. It's sort of like Elijah. Elijah was an Old Testament prophet who was what? He was raptured out. Very unusual. That only happened to him and and Enoch. But Elijah was raptured out. Well, if you actually were to go and study Elijah's life, Elijah was not raptured out while he was on cloud nine in ministry. Elijah was actually raptured out after he had come to the place where he was almost, I hate to say this word, but almost more so useless in ministry. He 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 wasn't raptured out after he called down fire from uh, uh you know on the on the temples there, uh or the altar there uh, of Baal. He wasn't raptured out, uh you know, on all of these these high moments that we think about that Elijah uh, partook in. He was raptured out after he, he had his whole cave incident there in, uh, I think it's 1 Kings 19. He's raptured out after Elijah had gotten to this place where he was less effective for uh, the Lord's purposes. And that's the same reason that Laodicea is raptured out. The Lord gets to the place. Now, granted, he has a lot that he, he wants to accomplish still after the church age. Okay? And he's going to do those things. He's turning his attention back to Israel. He's doing all those things. But it really, the nitty-gritty, it comes down to the fact that the bride of Christ is raptured out because as a whole, the majority of the bride of Christ is not doing what the bride of Christ is called to. And so you see that. And so, man, it all. every dispensation always ends in apostasy. And this one, back to Revelation chapter 20, uh, the millennium, it's no different. And so we see that Satan... He, he causes this big ruckus. He deceives the nations. They follow him. There's this battle, and the Lord, uh, he wipes them out, okay? Now, that brings us into the great white throne judgment, which follows right after that. Uh, so, Kyle, if you maybe want to read... Verse 11? Verse 11 through 15, yeah.
0: All right, Revelation 20, starting in verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire.
1: Okay, so here at the end, of the millennium has ended. Uh, all of that stuff that we've already laid out has surpassed. And we're now at the great white throne judgment. So this is the final final deal, final judgment here. And as we've already said, this is, uh, this is not the same thing as the judgment seat of Christ. So at this point, because we're going in order in a timeline here, you should know that Judgment Seat of Christ, where the, us and the church have, uh, are judged, that has already happened. We have already gone through that. We've gone through the marriage supper of the Lamb. We are back on earth with Christ, ruling and reigning with Him, uh, hopefully at a, at a great, you know, to a great extent, uh, ruling and reigning with Him for a thousand years, and then this takes place. Okay, so a few things we need to lay out here. Uh, who is this judge that's doing the judging? Well, it's obviously, it's the Lord Jesus. Okay, that's pretty clear to understand. Uh, but really, what what, we're, what we need to lay out here is if it's not the church being judged, then who is being judged? And this is where we could kind of get off in the nitty-gritty and things could get quite interesting. Uh, but the people that are being judged, really, they're the unsaved dead of, of every dispensation. So no no matter when somebody was alive, if they were unsaved, whether it was in the Old Testament, uh, which, of course, salvation was different then, but nonetheless, they did not know God in the Old Testament or it was in the church age, or it was in uh, another time frame. They are here being judged at at this great white throne judgment, okay? Secondly, we see that angels, from comparing Scripture with Scripture, that angels are being judged here. And Kyle, let's go ahead, maybe turn to a few references, because people will think this is quite odd if they haven't heard that. Go to 1 Corinthians 6.3. 1 Corinthians
0: overnight.
1: Yeah, 1 Corinthians 6.3. So, all the unsaved are being judged here, no matter what dispensation they're from, and angels themselves are being judged here.
0: Yep. Know ye not that we shall judge angels, how
1: much more things that pertain to this life. Okay. Now, I, I would tell you that these are these are angels that kept not their first estate. This is the sons of God of the Old Testament, primarily, um, which uh, that's just a whole another study that we don't have time to get into, um, but nonetheless, they're being judged during this time frame as well. Okay.
0: Yeah. The, the reference for that is Jude one six, and the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of that great day.
1: Okay. Great so great day. yeah. So and, and if that, if all that is strange to you, what that is is that this is what in Genesis chapter six where we see that the sons of God, and again, the sons of God in the Old Testament are always referencing uh, these angelic hosts that have fallen, um, and what happens is, in Genesis 6, it says that they came unto the daughters of men, and they produced offspring, they produced children with these women. Can go ahead? I'm about to sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> we won't edit that out, uh, quite frankly, because we don't know how. Uh, anyway, we're raw and real to the the degree. People probably thought I was having a stroke. Yeah. I, you probably thought I was having a stroke. You're like, what is going on right now? I'm not kidding. You're going to hear this. This will be in there. We're not going to edit that out. Like I said, we don't know how.
0: Anyway. It's the unfiltered caffeinated Bible chatter.
1: Unfiltered to the full extent. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But nonetheless, what happens is they, those sons of God came into the daughters of men in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, and uh, they produced uh, giants as children. Okay. I don't know if you noticed this, but a godly line, because some people believe those sons of God in Genesis 6 were a godly line. They get that from a Schofield reference Bible primarily. Uh, but they believe that those sons of God were just godly people. Well, somehow those godly people with the daughters of men produced giants. Well That's quite un- unusual. But anyway, the cross references show us that those were a- the angels there of Jude 1-6. Anyway, go ahead. Again,
0: unfiltered. So if you're reading out of a Schofield, keep listening.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, no hate on Schofield. He's uh he's a lot better than some of the other ones you could have. So anyway, he's at least a dispensationalist. Amen yep. amen. Yep. That'll preach. That's right. Anyway. Uh so where was I? So so the the unsaved dead of all ages are being judged at this this great white throne judgment. And angels are being judged at this quite this great white throne judgment. Now this is the third one is where people a lot of people don't don't realize, and this is that saints from other dispensations will be judged here, okay? And uh, not to get into, too far into it, but this is why verse five, uh, it, it talks about, this leads up to the Great White Throne Judgment, talks about the first resurrection, okay? Because this is really the general resurrection. The Great White Throne Judgment is the general resurrection that all of Israel knew was coming. Because remember, the church age is a mystery. They didn't know anything about the church age coming down the pipe. They didn't know anything about that. And so even like John 11 talks about, and we, and you can go back and listen to some of our other episodes, we talk about that, and we talk about the seven resurrections and all that. Um, but they knew that there was a general resurrection coming, a general last, you know, a day of judgment. And this is what they knew it was, okay, was the great white throne judgment. So Old Testament uh, saints will be judged at this great white throne judgment tribulational saints will be judged and millennial uh, saints will be judged, okay? Now, what is one thing that is that all three of those groups have in common? Works was a, part of, was a part of their salvation. Old Testament saints, tribulational saints, and then those in the millennium. All three of them had works tied to their salvation. Now, the only difference in the Old Testament and tribulational saints versus the millennial is that in the millennium, that faith is not necessary because they can see Jesus. It's it's solely based on works. But in the Old Testament and in the tribulation, it's a combination of faith and works. Okay? So these three groups are also, so pretty much saints, people that know God, that are, were not in the church age, they're going to be judged at this great white throne judgment. Okay? And... I made the comment that all that all three of these had something to do with works in common. Well, notice this. I want you to notice that what is the the means in which this judgment is taken is judged up upon. Okay, it's like what is God using as the litmus test for the judgment? Okay, well, look at verse 13. And it says, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works. Okay, so the, those that know God from different dispensations, they're judged based on their works because, hey, that's part of that side of their salvation, even in the Old Testament. Okay, but then on the flip side of that, notice that, okay, there are some people from the church age being judged here, but it's the unsaved from the church age and, and the unsaved from every dispensation being judged here. And notice we know that in the church age, you know what can't happen? You can't be saved by works. So what happens is they're actually judged by works, and we know that their works ain't going to get it done. And so that is why eventually they're, at the end of this, they're cast, uh, death and hell are cast into the lake of fire, which is where they spend, unfortunately, they spend eternity forever. Okay? So, but what that does lead us into, and I'm kind of I'm uh, jumping all over. I, I'm going to come back to that. I don't want to say that yet. Okay, so the, those are the people. So the judge itself is Jesus Christ. Those group groups of people that I just laid out; those are the people that are being judged at this judgment. Okay. Now the jury. This is where it's interesting. The jury uh, will actually have a lot of born again believers from the church age in it. So that's why again, Kyle read the read the reference in First Corinthians six three, where it talks about us judging angels. So. Now, how many of the uh, Christians will be there? I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe there's somebody else that could tell you more about that. I don't know. But what I know is that there will be some, some born again Christians from the church age that are part of the jury, not being judged. That's already happened. But they are a part of the jury in this judgment. And what's really, this is why it's always been so convicting. What's really tough is if we're able to see this judgment going, going down, and there are people that are unsaved from the church age that we knew that are at this great white throne judgment. We know at that point they, they're hopeless and they're going to the lake of fire. But what's really sad is that we'll actually be able to witness that and to see that. And what will be really awkward is I don't again I don't know how God picks the jury in this and who all qualifies to be part of the jury and not you know as far as born again Christians. But what's really interesting and would be really sad is if I was a part or if you were a part of the jury and had to make the case against the very person that you knew being judged at the great white throne judgment. That'd be, that'd be, man, that'd be tough. That'd be crazy. And and, and that is why, okay, because everybody talks about when we get to heaven, the tears being wiped away, right? Everybody loves talking about that, Okay. Well, notice it's in it's in Revelation twenty one four. Kyle, you got that reference? Uh, Revelation twenty one four. Read that. This is after the great white throne. The great white throne judgment ends in verse fifteen. Well, notice it's, it's in the next chapter in verse four when the tears are actually wiped away. Go ahead and read that, again. Yeah. And
0: God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed
1: away. Yeah there's a reason that God would would wait to wipe away tears until that point. For one, I believe it's because we can go through the judgment seat of Christ in a tearful manner, through the millennial reign, upset, as crazy as that is to think about. If we didn't surrender our lives wholly now, we'll regret that during the millennium. But also during this, this time of the great white throne judgment. There's no doubt about it. If we see people that are loved ones or that we knew, and they're going through this judgment and then visibly cast into the lake of fire that is going to be a terrible time an emotional time and it's not until after that that god actually wipes away all tears
0: yes yeah, so there's there's going to be good people you know in air quotes standing and standing at this judgment you know, absolutely people that lived a good life probably yeah but they'll be classed with the the ungodly and you know cast in the hell
1: absolutely That's crazy yeah <laughs> and then and so the last thing i have written down here and I was kind of about to start saying some of this, and I kind of said I was going to wait, save it for the end. But again, notice, notice what everybody's judged judged based on here in this this judgment. They're judged based on their works. So we know that the works of somebody in the church age can't save a man. Okay, like if somebody can try to work their way and be a good person all they want right now, and they'll go to hell without Jesus Christ. Okay, well. In this, why would God still go through and still give them a judgment based on their works if that can't save them? Well, what I believe is, is I believe that there, this judgment still takes place because I believe there are different degrees of severe punishment in eternity. So we said this last week, talking about Christians in eternity, that God, he, he promises that, he is, that he'll be just And he promises that we reap what we sow. So if somebody gives their whole life to serving Christ here and now, in eternity, they'll reap the benefits of that. Okay, versus a Christian that doesn't give a rip about serving God, they'll reap the unfortunate benefits of that in eternity. Not that they go to hell, but that they don't get to rule and reign with him to the full extent that the other guy does. Okay, well, the same thing is true because God is just and and true across the board. The same thing is true With the unsaved. Okay. How much sense would it make? Now, I think every place in the lake of fire, and I don't know how to describe all of this, and maybe you think this is crazy and that's fine, but I I think every bit of judgment in the lake of fire is going to be awful. I mean, it describes it as a terrible place of pain. But I do believe that there will be different levels of punishment in there. Okay, and again, because the same analogy I just gave you with a Christian, and I'm not just going to give you analogies, I'm going to give you some scripture here in a second, but the same analogy I gave you with a Christian, God promises that we will reap what we sow. Well, if somebody, let's take two people, let's take one guy that just never got saved, obviously they're a sinner, they deserve this punishment, okay, but they never got saved and they lived their life in a pretty moral way versus somebody like a, you know, we think about the big guys, like the Hitlers of the world, right, the Joseph Stalin's, the uh, Charles Manson's, uh, you know, all those guys, okay? Okay, that guy is going to reap what he has sown in judgment, okay? Now, why do I say that? Okay, well, again, notice Revelation 20, verse 13, that it says and they, at the end of the verse, and they were judged every man according to their works, okay? So there, there is... God's not just going through something for the heck of it. He's not just like, let me just go through, you know, kind of the mo- let me just go through the motions here because I said I would do this. No, no. He's actually looking at their individual works. Okay, and, and now a reference I want to give you, and this is I don't have time to get into all of this, but uh Kyle, go to Luke uh, Luke 10 verse, I think it's verse 32. Let's see. Actually, you know what? Yeah, Luke 10, 12. Luke 10, 12. This is just this is just one reference. There, there, there's so much more to say about this, but for time's sake, I'm not. We're not going to do it. Go ahead and read that. Okay. Luke 10, 12.
0: But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city.
1: Okay. So what we have here is just an illustration that, that Christ is he's teaching and he's saying uh, that if somebody doesn't receive the disciples as they go into the streets and preach in the kingdom that. It's going to be more tolerable for Sodom than those people that rejected what the disciples were preaching. That's that's what's going on here. But I want you to, again, notice the actual words there. What Christ is letting us know is that, okay, obviously Sodom is a place of sin. You know, in the Old Testament, book of Genesis. Sodom and Gomorrah is a place of sin. It's a place that was known for homosexuality. It was known for great and grievous sins. Okay, but what Christ is saying here is that there is actually a difference. Okay, when he says that something is more tolerable, what he is saying is that the person that is less tolerable, what the, what the the second person that is getting the less tolerable treatment, there's a difference there in in their judgment. There is a difference there in their punishment after the judgment. Okay, that's just one reference. And we there's there's a lot more there's some in the book of Psalms that talks about and maybe we can do another episode about this down the road. My point in all of this is to to show you that this is why Christ still goes into the works of of those at the great white throne judgment is because, man, he's going to, okay, all of it's going to be bad. If somebody, you know, almost got saved and they lived a moral life, okay, their eternity is going to be awful. They're going to It's a place of gnashing of teeth. It's the lake of fire. It's awful. Death and hell are cast into this place, the lake of fire. But it's just interesting to me. I just thought it'd be cool to lay it out. It's just interesting that God still does judge them based on their works. And again, like I said, I believe it's because these people are reaping different levels based on what they've sown in their lifetime. So, just kind of an interesting little deal there. So... Now, the the devotional takeaway in all of this for us is obviously the millennium, like we said so much last week, we need to to surrender our whole lives now for the mission, for the, the reason that Jesus Christ has left us here, to focus on eternal things. We need to surrender our whole life now for those purposes so that we can rule and reign with Christ in the millennium. But also, with this whole thing of the great white throne judgment, like we just were saying a few moments ago, man, we need to be sure as best we can or at least as aggressively as we can, we need to be sure that those that we know and that those that we come in contact with, we need to be sure that they know that they don't have to go to that judgment one day. We need to let them know that there's been a means of salvation and that salvation is in the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ. Because, again, I just don't know, outside of the judgment seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ, me not living my life for the purposes that Christ wants me to, that would be the worst thing, is that, that moment of the judgment seat where I'm personally being judged. But I believe the second, potentially the second worst day for a carnal Christian or somebody that doesn't live for Christ's purposes, the second worst day in eternity will be that day, the great white throne judgment. when they're, they're, they, they, they themselves are not being judged. But where they can potentially see some people that they knew and had access to that are being judged, that are ultimately being cast into the lake of fire for, again, I don't know how to comprehend this, but for all of eternity. We think so much in the context of time because that's the way we're driven, but there will be no time at that point. And so, man, that's that ought to motivate us and challenge us.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that was a good episode, I think. This is Dylan Taylor. <laughs> Dylan's having another another sneeze moment.
1: Yeah, sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Hours Unfiltered are one. killing me.
0: Unfiltered one, uh, but no, I think that was a good episode. That should definitely motivate us, uh, application of our lives, knowing that that all this this end time stuff is coming. Right, this is literal stuff that's going to happen. Right, and we're going to be standing face to face at the throne for our judgment. And then there's going to be another judgment. And I like that you pointed out that the the tears won't be wiped away till after all that happens. Because I think a lot of times we preach on the rapture happening and we're just chilling in heaven and having a good time. But there's, there's a lot that happens after the rapture of the church. Um, so hopefully everybody's, everybody's uh, been listening and, I don't know, maybe maybe learned something new. I don't Absolutely. Know. But uh, if you missed some of those other ones, definitely go check them out because we're, we're laying all this out in order of how things are going to break down. Um, and I guess next week, maybe we go into eternity. Absolutely. Um, they like yeah. can get
1: wild. Buckle up. Yeah. Like they get wild. Uh, don't think we're crazy. <laughs> but, uh.
0: <laughs> All, right. All right. We'll catch y'all on the next one.